Hello, everyone. Welcome to Professional Idiocy. Well, a very special episode of Professional Idiocy. I am your host, James, and I am always joined with a plethora of interesting people. Fortunately, my co-host Barad is at college right now and will be joining us a little bit later. Uh, but for now, I have uh, known as the headbringer in Role for Idiocy. He is my favorite bald fighter from my campaign. It's Thailand. Oh boy, yep, that's me. And I am not bald in real life, but Edwin not certainly bald in is. real life. <laughs> and I am joined by the wonderful Mark Seifter from Paizo. Hi, uh, glad to be here. Cool. Uh, so, Mark, can you tell us a little bit what what you do on a day to day basis? Sure thing. So, I am the design manager at Paizo. What that means is that I'm kind of in a, a a kind of a tier of management alongside the development um, managers and um, the the editing, the managing editor, where I am like deep in the guts of projects doing design, but I'm also keeping track of our schedule and all the sorts of things that we need to get done and checking in with project management and making sure that we can get our projects in on time. So it's kind of a hybrid role of um, some management of what we're doing and than doing the thing. Yeah, I can imagine it's a lot of, uh, you know, definitely getting into the, like the deep, deep, like, you know, guts of just like every mechanic like needs to be like 100% read through before. Like, I, it's truly interesting with second edition, like comparative to like first when it came to like how like tight mechanics are. Uh, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, so can you... Uh, talk about a little bit what it was like getting into TUI from like the 10 years of just writing for first well working on first at least well, um, well I'm not so, saying that you did 10 years I mean yeah. I mean general like the 10 years of Pathfinder first edition of its lifespan being so so big absolutely and you know you're right I wasn't writing for Pathfinder first edition for that entire span but I was out there as a fan, posting on Paizo.com, um, participating in play tests, and just generally playing the heck out of Pathfinder First Edition. When I was hired, uh, they were finishing up like the last bits of Monster Codex, and there was barely any of that for me to do. Uh, I actually wrote the Goblin Sticky Lord to help copy fit. That was it. <laughs> My name is in there as an author, even though like I did like the minimal amount to have that occur. Um, but um, Pathfinder Unchained was actually the first book that I worked on. And um, if you'll remember that one, it's kind of the one where you do all sorts of mods and change up how the game worked. Something yeah. I've always been deeply interested in, even as a fan, is just modding the game and changing things around. And so that sort of was also the beginning of the path towards second edition because we had mods for the game. But also, even when I was hired, I was told, like sooner or later, we're, we need Pathfinder Second Edition. We have to start thinking about it because, well, every tabletop RPG gets another edition eventually. It just is, is the way that things always work. And so they were thinking about it even at that point in time. And so you'll see things in Unchained, like the, there is a three action economy in there. It doesn't necessarily work as well in Pathfinder First Edition because the game isn't built around that. Uh, but was definitely a test bed that um, allowed us to move forward to Pathfinder Second Edition eventually too. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's sort of transitional. There is always a lot of let's try to get ahead on on our books and then spend a little bit of time go do some alpha um, alpha builds for Second Edition and then just eventually at a certain point this just sort of shift over and start working on Second Edition in earnest. And a lot of that was taking the experience and knowledge that all of the different people on the design team and just at Paizo that weren't on the design team had from those many years of Pathfinder First Edition. And I played and GM'd an awful lot of First Edition uh, in home groups and in organized play where I was a like a venture lieutenant and five-star GM, which meant I, I ran like 150 tables in different places. So wow. I brought some of that into sort of into the mix of just meeting with a lot of different players and GMs and knowing what their play style was. 
knowing where some of the stress points were, some of the issues, like what kind of scenarios were causing a lot of problems for people? Like, was it the one where there's six harpies and they all sing and then everybody gets captivated? Yeah, that kind of was not the greatest. That, that, could, that could be one of the things that caused an issue, right? So we bring those all in together. We look at things that made the game uh, harder to use. And we wanted a game that kept uh, a depth to the game. You know, that's like the depth of options, choices, things that you can decide to do, but that limited as much as possible complexity, which is just like the overhead and the cost of learning and figuring things out. So before I was hired at Paizo, I was a, um, a grad student in artificial intelligence at MIT. And as a computer science guy, uh, for me, there are ways that you can limit that kind of complexity that um, that are using computer science that I, I wanted us to use here. Things like modularity, almost an object-oriented design where you kind of have a basic framework of how things work and then you apply that in multiple places. And so it's easy to pick something up and learn it and then apply it somewhere else. And you might see that in second edition compared to first, in first edition, like, uh, do you uh, remember the exact formula for what you roll intimidate against in Pathfinder first edition? Um, oh, Jesus. Uh, it I is a bespoke it was a formula. There's nowhere else. Oh, my God. I I was reading this last night. I, oh, shoot. It was the, I was reading, oh, it was the antagonized feat. Uh, it was intimidation versus, was it? Was it opposed rolls against the will saving throw versus intimidation check? Not a then... not a bad guess, and that it's close. That in second edition, you roll intimidation versus will DC. But mm -hmm. in first edition, um, my recollection, and it's been a while, so mm -hmm. is that you roll it against ten plus half your level plus your wisdom modifier plus any bespoke bonuses that you have that specifically say they're against fear, but not other bonuses to your will save. Oh boy. Um, so the point being that um <laughs> in Pathfinder first edition. In there. Yeah, yeah. Of, right. And for the action economy in Pathfinder First Edition, um, there's a lot you could do if you really knew it. But if you wanted to explain it fully to someone, it was kind of like the way you explain it is so each turn you get a standard action, which is kind of your big thing for the turn, and then a move action, which can be used to move, but also some a lot of other things that are not moving, but it is called a move action. Now, you could combine both of those together and take a full round action instead, uh, typically like attacking a bunch of times or something like Flurry that. Blows. In addition to that, you could take a swift action, but only if you haven't taken an immediate action since your last turn. Uh, and you can do that regardless of the other things. Plus, you can take free actions um, kind of whenever you want. But there's also something called not an action. And you can take the not an action even if you're unable to take actions. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> so, like, I think that that is the, as, as someone who has taught before, um, you know, I've, I've taken classes. I think that's probably the most concise and easiest way to explain uh, the... Oh, right. One more thing. There's a thing called one full round, which is not the same as the full round action where you start sp by spending your full round action and then you go through the whole turn until your next turn comes up. Although if you don't have a full round, you could spend a standard action to do that and then a standard action on your next turn. Oh. I forgot that. That's the last one. So, so the is point it is two that round it's complicated. Casting? So is it just like two round casting that we now have in because of Secrets of Magic? Or is that more of... Look, this is first edition was just a... It was a hard system for me to get into when I was just started out. Um, yeah, but once you learn it, you could, like, all those things I just said, if you're a uh, long-time Pathfinder First Edition player, you're probably like, yeah, I got that. I can do it. But it's not easy for new players, whereas right now the rules are, you know, each turn you have up to three actions. There are some activities that take more than one of them. You also get one reaction, which you refresh at the start of your turn and can use at some point, and then free actions are don't cost either actions that don't cost one of your three actions or they are um kind of like reactions that don't take up your reaction and use them anytime so that's that's basically it it's easier to get into that's that's sort of what we were looking for yeah i mean i think that tui has definitely brought a new 
uh look to the system also i haven't mentioned it yet hi barat welcome to the welcome to the call hey how you doing so yeah i think definitely with uh second edition we have very much this new look into the system can you go into a little bit what the initial look for what it looked like because i remember with coming into playtest we had a lot of like you guys announced it or at least paizo did it was just like brand new system three actions uh i think like proficiency was like untrained it was just your level then it was like one plus and it was like it was a weird like two four six eight i believe for yes so can uh, you or talk actually no it's bit? two four six eight now it used to be that untrained um was uh it did add your level but with a penalty and then it was actually one two three four um or sorry zero one two three so it, it has now moved to untrained not adding your level and then two four six eight uh in terms of uh we're talking here about the progression for um the unified progression that you can learn once and apply anywhere um for your skills attacks armor uh all of those kind of things so um yeah and in fact if, if you're talking the beta uh, is that mm -hmm. what we're talking? You said the initial version. Yes. There was a, there was an yeah, alpha sorry. that was even earlier than that. That was only internal. But um, yeah, if we're talking the beta, the difference between trained on uh, expert and master and legendary was actually smaller at that point in time, and so it also made it less of a big deal than it does now about certain classes, which ones um, got up to higher proficiency ranks sooner. But playtesters really wanted a very big jump. And so we, we, we changed it to be a difference of two. And as a result of that, um, it did require progressing proficiency ranks much more sharply among um, various classes. So that like at that point, all martial classes except fighter had to go to master and fighter um, went to legendary. Whereas before like barbarian actually just didn't even, if I remember correctly, didn't I even think get it got past expert. Yeah, yeah, it just stopped at expert, right? It was like, yeah, you know what? In that version, the it, the, with the barbarian, it's not that you've like really learned how to use that sword uh, an awful lot. It's just that you're really angry. You just swing <laughs> it harder than ever before. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so um, that was something that we lost the option to do because obviously um, for a martial character that was entirely based on beating the stuffing out of something if it was actually an expert it would have needed so much bonus damage that it would be like uh it to be just like a full marshal not like a caster hybrid that it would be like really terrible when it didn't um when you know when it didn't hit but then when it did hit it would just you want your blow everything off the rage damage <laughs> on every yeah stage. like Imagine the rage damage was twice as much as it is now because the penalty oh was twice as much as it is now, right? Yeah, like... Thailand, correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. I believe it's like, I think Instinct Barbarian gets up to like plus 18 by the time you're like like at level 17 or 18. I believe you have like... Uh, that I may remember... have been Giant Instinct Barbarian. Giant Instinct Giants Barbarian. do get the most. Yeah. They get some crazy damage when they use oversized weapons. I know because I... Uh, the... The character that I was introduced as, uh, the headbringer, is a giant instinct barbarian. Oh, nice. and well, he's a fighter with the fighter. <laughs> barbarian uh, archetype, but he gets some pretty pretty serious bonus damage. Yeah, and I think that you do get eighteen with giant. So imagine it was thirty six, but that you were just super inaccurate. Mm. Uh, so it'd be like, well, I missed. Okay, I hit and it did thirty six. <laughs> So certain things had to change when it got changed to be a bigger um, jump in proficiency. Mm. Yeah, I remember when Tui first came out and I, I got the core rule book. I was actually I was at my internship when I first like it dropped and I was remember reading through it. So sorry, Etna. Um, uh, I remember reading through because I barbarians the first class and I was and I played barbarians all throughout the play test except for a few times with monk because i gotta love monk um it, it was like it was like 
13 new class features instead of like what was with the play test. I was like, this is, it was truly interesting. I think just to see the design changes from even just like the play test, which had six updates in it, which I think by update six, I gave up <laughs> like keeping I'm track. Very of wall. smirks at Fumbus because Fumbus is sad since he's actually <laughs> first. <laughs> oh yeah oh my god i forgot alchemist yeah <laughs> to be honest i think i skipped past alchemist i was like barbarian 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 is pretty rad alchemists are definitely slept on they're uh even even now i feel like they don't get this the recognition they deserve because they're a really cool class there, there's a lot to to like about um so stephen randy mcfarland was kind of the lead on designing the alchemist there's a they they I agree with you, Thailand. They have um, they have a lot of subtle features that are easy to miss, which in itself is something that we that we as designers need to learn from. Uh, mm -hmm. Because even if it is a class that has subtle and powerful abilities, we need to learn that people miss it and that you know, like for example, the, the damage you do when you fail your attack roll adds up, and if they have a weakness, it adds up fast. Oh yeah, splash but damage is pretty. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. The splash damage, which happens on a miss. Um, so if you actually take like a tool and calculate it, like some people have done online, you're like, oh, they actually at some levels, they actually do more than like a fighter archer can do counting the misses. But but psychologically, mm -hmm. right, people aren't going to be happy with the miss, even if you tell them that when you add it all up, they're doing more. So it's something that we definitely have to learn from and consider when we're moving forward, like, is this the right way to go where you give more effects on, on a miss, but um, like kind of less effects on a hit or lower accuracy in this case, plus a ton of utility. And clearly the answer was that it, it's very subtle and kind of the strengths are harder to pick up. It's kind of not as easy to play for new players. So there's a lot to learn from that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I really liked about alchemical bombs, especially, is that they scale almost like almost on the dot with weapons and their like uh, potency and striking runes. So like, for yeah. example, alchemist fire at le uh, level three, you get a plus one item bonus if you have a level three alchemist fire, similarly to like a plus one short sword. And it gets an extra die of damage, one level oh, yeah. before the striking rune, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's... I think definitely item creation had such a huge effect when you guys finally tied things to level. Because in first edition, mm -hmm. there's no level to any item. It's just like, here's lesser alchemist fire, greater alchemist fire, whatever the other ones are. It's kind of like the... And then I think with having it with level, I think it's definitely introduced a new like category playing field almost. Level, I think, just made it easier for everyone, uh, especially the GM, to know like what was appropriate and what we were, uh, what the expectations were. Whereas in Pathfinder First Edition, it was kind of just a wide open field, and and GM and the players don't know like, should I be upgrading my cloak of resistance right now for uh, nine thousand gold pieces to go from sixteen thousand to twenty five thousand, get another plus one? Yes, always upgrade your saves in First Edition, <laughs> uh, but. But there, there, there would be just like, you know, there would be competition between um, the big six items in Pathfinder First Edition that were raising your stats between just some weird random items and they all didn't have a level on them. So you don't know if you're a new player the, uh, that the answer is yes, always raise your saves um, in, if you can um, in, in a cost-effective way in Pathfinder First Edition. You might spend that 9,000 on just some random utility item that you thought was cool. And um, you can still do that in second edition, but you at least know, hey, this is the level that there's a resilient uh, rune. And so that's something I should be taking a look for. Whereas in first edition, like kind of the equivalent of the resilient rune was just always there hanging and you had to decide when to get it. But those num math numbers are much more boring than a cool random item. And so a new player might not think to do it, whereas the experienced players are like, we need the math. you got to have the math. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I also I wanna... like to note... Oh. oh, sorry, go ahead. I would also like to note, this is just a side note, I love Fumbus. 
he's oh my god i can't so wait great. for the comic book to drop for fumbus it, it's pretty uh, exciting uh the comic oh you I, got uh, a chance you to... know they, co- they come with rules and stuff right like little things in the back and i've seen some of that and it's pretty cool i can't spoil nice. any of what's in it but i think you'll like it if you love fumbus mm-hmm. my that was my dad's favorite when we were doing the play test and every time we pulled out iconic sheets he's like Fumbus now and I'm just like all right look I got <laughs> don't you have uh, either a figurine or a plushie of Fumbus as well or is that I just don't a, a I just have a lot of goblins I have yeah, this you, guy mm. right here uh and like the two goblin plushes downstairs and a goblin head nice I might I might hey. like goblins a, a little bit and you know uh Fumbus in his backstory his mentor Droven um that is from this backstory is now the iconic inventor in guns and gears which uh yes, subscribers are getting that's actually exactly and what i wanted to transition to was Werp, guns and gears. Werp is the godbot <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yes so guns and gears is getting shipped out this week uh as per the week of recording i have not gotten my copy yet and i will be forever spiteful but until then uh can you talk a little bit about let's I want to start with the play test first because we got firearms and obviously a brand new class that wasn't even in first edition, which was something completely new. So I That's wanted right. to talk to you about what you wanted, what it was like developing for um like let's just start with the inventor because I, I believe you wrote that one. That's correct. I wrote yeah, the inventor and um Michael Sayer, who was the design lead for the book. He was our newest member at the time. And we were like, welcome to the job, Mike. We usually give (laughs) you a few books where you can um, kind of learn before you're the design lead on a book. But unfortunately, the person that that like just left that you were replacing was supposed to be the lead on this one. And we also but fortunately, we know that you love this material and we want someone who's the right person to, to be the lead and. Mike was the right person because he loved that material. He knows that material. He was the lead and he wrote the gunslinger. And so, um, and yeah, I wrote the inventor together. Um, just the way things worked out, he and I wound up working on doing much of the design work for the book and writing some other things along the way. So you can see us both on the cover. Um, but yeah, the inventor is the class I wrote and it was the first new brand new class for Pathfinder second edition. So I just sort of channeled a lot of kind of flavor and story of, you know, like those reckless scientists who are out there being like for science and doing oh, some yeah. kind <laughs> of. Uh, oh, my God. We were, we were playing uh, Iron Gods from first into second edition. And Tyler here is our Nimbus. Yes. <laughs> I the the timing of the playtest release was so fortunate because i was just joining the iron gods uh campaign so mm-hmm. i built up a i built up an inventor and eventually he also became a barbarian there's a trend among my characters of taking the barbarian archetype for some reason uh but i flavored his rage as like a manic like mad scientist flirt or yeah just just a, a complete manic episode going full mad scientist and it was so fun and to this day it's still like that's the class that i'm most excited for out of any of the future releases well uh hopefully it will not disappoint uh we definitely got a lot of good playtest feedback people really liked the inventor uh it was not quite as popular as the swashbuckler but was actually the second most popular playtest class <laughs> that we ever did which actually shocked me due to the fact that we had a like a like a literal misprint that no one's really sure how it got in there on uh unstable where it just completely said the wrong thing and it didn't work so um i was very grateful that people were able to overlook the <laughs> fact that one of the key features didn't work and still um see i mean we did like announce it like pretty early on that oh look it doesn't even work uh, but not everyone would have probably seen that. People still saw past it and and really, really liked uh, the class. So, uh, but there were quality of life changes that were necessary because even a class that people like a lot, they're going to find something that ne- needs to change or could be improved or new ideas to add it. And so 
we filled the class with those. So if you liked it in the playtest, I think you're going to really like it now. If you just fundamentally were like, this is not the class for me by any shape of the imagination, even if lots of little things were better, you probably won't like it still. Um, unless something, it was like unstable being broken. Something <laughs> small about Inventor that was a little odd to me was that um, pretty early on, other Inventor subclasses other than the, uh, than the companion one uh, could get a mechanical companion through a feat but the companion inventors could never get like armor or a weapon invention through feats, which was uh, so a little yeah, strange. You can get a lesser companion through a feat yeah. if you take it, but it's never going to be your innovation. So it's never going to have yeah, yeah. any of the extra boosts that it, it's kind of using the feat is kind of more akin to if you took Beastmaster dedication and got like a tiger or something with your inventor. Uh, and it's okay. at it's at a pretty similar loadout, which like any inventor could do. And you know what? No judgment if you want to be an inventor riding on a tiger. And yeah, you don't get the support benefit because it doesn't have the mount trait. But we all know that you probably wanted to to do that while carrying your whatever it is, your wild inventor hammer or your <laughs> strange um, like weird gun or bow or thing that you've created and and. Being on like a tiger. crazy, crazy suit of armor that sparks everywhere. Yeah, oh sure. God. So basically, it was just a way to um, get the baseline um, version of the companion, but the innovation version is always still going to be the best one. Mm. In the same way that anybody can get weapon or armor, but they're mm. never going to have an innovation weapon or armor. Yeah. I have not yet read the archetype yet for inventor so i'm extremely curious to see how people can multi-class like an alchemist i wonder what they could do with an inventor or especially like something like the wizard you know because inventor is not support where like alchemist is like inventor is a full martial class i remember reading martial mm -hmm. take like master to hit i was just like wait what hold on that <laughs> was like yeah. it's like you know, like doing a double take almost of just like wait did i read this right same weapon yeah. proficiency as most other martial classes, which I was very happy about. Yeah, that's what they got. And um, the multi-class, I revealed at PaizoCon that um, you can wind up, um, you wind up like getting the inventor feat and there's a feat in there that raises your crafting proficiency to expert, then master, then legendary for one archetype feat, which is pretty nifty if you want to put up your crafting. Nice. Um, you can get explode. Because uh, what inventor can't make things explode? And <laughs> so, kind of some of the other initial stuff. And of course, like everybody, you, you've got the like the basic something that gives you the first or second level feed in advance, whatever that thing that yeah. I picked was that gives you feeds standard multi-class stuff. Yeah, it's got standard multi-class stuff, but it um, its ability to raise crafting and some of the other things that it does are pretty nifty and some of the people who have it already at least seem to be to be interested in it so i think if you want to add a little bit of uh weird science to your character that um it'll be a good way to do that definitely was excited any, was there any like sort of media that you turn you tend to call to when writing when you were writing the inventor like for me i got a lot of like you know crazy scientists like dr frankenstein where it's like technically it's in a medieval setting but you know you're still doing like crazy sci-fi stuff so i would say um kind of more weird science than than science fiction but that's really just parsing out um sub genres and we all have different names for them right like because mm -hmm. ustalov is sort of the always been the gothic horror land of and it has had its dracula style vampires and it's had like witches and werewolves and a frankenstein monster type monster called the beast of lepishtad that was also created by some dude in a university out of stitched up pieces very very frankenstein monster so um i, I guess um I wouldn't consider it science fiction per se but it is sort of it's sort of partially science fiction partially fantasy it's uh, more in like a steampunk slash like those like the victor frankenstein style gothic mm. horror and some mm -hmm. of those other subgenres, as opposed to like deep science fiction where it's uh laser pistols and um and artificial intelligences 
uh if that if that makes sense yeah it does because like one is like starfinder mechs and the other one is you know like steampunk fantasy absolutely and gunslingers in general is meant to be something that is more of steampunk fantasy and that adds those elements but just feels right um in a fantasy game as opposed to going all the way hardcore science fantasy and there's a lot of grounding in the book that you can read and see to help you understand and explain contextualization of it and i think that has helped at least in the playtest with some people who have been like well in the past i've always felt it was jarring but when i read this playtest and some of the explanations I actually feel like it's not jarring to have it in my game. And that's just something I deeply appreciate because, I mean, almost no matter what we do, as long as it's cool, people who are all in on Steampunk are going to love this <laughs> book. But if we can get the people who were like, I'm not sure if it fits or not for me, or even some people admitted in like their survey, they were like, I came into this pretty skeptical, but um, now I'm convinced. That, that really it's me that we've done something well uh, when you can get the people who are skeptical to be like, this explained it for me. Finally, other things have not, they've just sort of seemed kind of mashed in, in, in uh, more so in a way that, that was just like, we wanted to add this. So we just put it in. And I like that, I guess. Mm. One of the things that you mentioned that I, I loved, especially about the setting is that, there are a variety of different like settings like you mentioned with Ustalov being like a gothic gothic type setting um and especially with steampunk that there's little sprinklings of different genres it's not just like high fantasy it's, it's like you said steampunk gothic um sci-fi narnia sci-fi, uh, like yeah like numeria is a really yeah. cool country or uh, still yeah, waiting like, on that numeria book eventually oh, very boy. kitchen sink setting it's got it's got everything you go to the right place you find a country where undead and and humans or and or i guess not undead mortals are both citizens and honestly much of the higher rank folks are undead hmm. um and you go somewhere else and yeah like you said you can find futuristic crash spaceship and um so there's definitely a lot of subgenres that you can play by and it allows you to tell a lot of different stories in in the same world mm. and yeah, definitely the, the steampunk Sorry, stuff especially has also been sprinkled in there slightly with stuff like airships and steam giants which james i'm looking at you can we please get a steam giant eventually in a campaign these things are so cool <laughs> uh maybe one day i have a you have any idea the amount of uh campaigns i have in my idea in my head alone i think i'll work it in somewhere you're a gm at heart of course you do so <laughs> seeing how much tyler wanted the airship and the steam giant from seeing them in the in the game mastery guide vehicles i'm just going to apologize in advance to james Aww. because if he wanted those two that much the vehicles and guns and gears are going to increase the number of asks that you get uh, by a dramatic oh, amount when there's no. like oh boy <laughs> i knew it when secrets of like, magic uh, was enough why'd you make it harder <laughs> there's like the, the like the the walking castle or something like that um and the okay 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 i got it i got it so in our campaign you guys are about to storm the castle that's and now the castle you gotta infiltrate it. <laughs> it just, Admitted, it, admittedly, the it walking castle isn't that big. And walked it's, away. <laughs> it, it's kind of a um, a blown up name for it, but it is three stories tall and mm. um, has some heft to it. And there's like a mobile inn. There's some kind yes. of like a hopping rabbit That's um, vehicle that you can get in. Um, as soon as all of this is just calling. Uh, howl's moving castle to mine that's probably yes. just because i'm a huge ghibli there's fan a, there's a snail car that uses slime to help you oh. uh, kind <laughs> of like great. climb walls on it that's amazing oh my yeah, god yeah there's there's a lot of of great vehicles in there i think the snail car and the and the rabbit and some of the other ones i said were by uh, jessica catalan who's one of the freelancers who wrote for the book Nice. Oh my god, that is <laughs> just the snail car is getting me. Oh man, Con continuity error is gonna be amazing. I don't know. Oh, oh yeah, that's, that's the follow-up campaign, campaign when we have like to do a bug's life and I get to throw that like 
part into it. This is gonna be amazing. I think it what may is... be called snail trolley now that I think of it, but it's it's basically I'm lose like my a mind either thing. way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a little concerned uh, when I started, like, because Guns and Gears really excited me because I love that kind of stuff. But I was a little concerned that it wouldn't work in every, like, some of the, a lot of the material and it wouldn't work in every campaign. But it definitely sounds like there's a lot of variety and it's not just, like, steampunk and diesel punk stuff. It's not all. Uh... So ahead, there's sorry. definitely variety. And not only is there variety, but there's a lot of nuance about, um, like, it's broken up into kind of three sub books, the guns book, the, the gears book, um, each of which have two chapters. And then like a, uh, and like the end book, the end book the, that, yeah, that includes world wall lore and Arcadia. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you knew it. And so you might put <laughs> just the guns in or just the gears in. And even among the gears, you might say, okay, uh, we're going to do clockwork because in Golarian, even though they're all kind of uncommon or rare clockwork is a little more known than the other kinds of tech because there's been like ancient empires 10,000 years ago. Zin, the first empire, emperor of Thassalon, is a famous ancient empire in Goldarian, was a clockwork like fanatic. He like built a giant army of clockworks. And so that's been around for a long time in the setting. Uh, as opposed to Steam, which is pretty recent um, development of technological Steam, just because most people agreed that it's both safer and easier to like just get a fire elemental or something if you need heat you don't need to like do a steam Burn engine it's coal. very complicated it could, could explode and <laughs> needs a lot of fuel um and then stasian technology the rarest of them all because it's named after anastasia romanov is based on the um, based on tech from nikola tesla taken from earth um via baba yaga's hut so rain um, of winter oh wait, my god that, that was my first get paid i'm sorry i <laughs> i know about like the the overlap between galarian and like stuff from earth like russia and um what was the i forgot the name of Rasputin. the it was 1912 yes, russia yes yep. there was tanks it was awesome the tanks yep and and while they pretty much do not have tanks or like um world war one weapons that are still working or if so, there's probably almost none. Uh, mm. They haven't reproduced them. They did get some weird Nikola Tesla stuff. Yeah, uh, that's coils cool. with, um, with electric power in it that proved to be um, useful enough that, like, usually if you wanted to do lightning stuff, you would use lightning magic, like um, the aromantic infandibulum in the flying cities of the Shuri, who kind of, like, were floating around over the continent of Garund. But um, Stygian coils that at least proved to be useful enough that um, the few that people have been able to smuggle out to Ustalov, Ustalov, the, that gothic horror um, nation has just started making new um, technological research based on the staging coils to try to help figure things out. Some people want to defend because the Whispering Tyrant has escaped and he's kind of a major threat and he kind of conquered their place last time and they're oh, worried boy. about it. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned clockworks earlier and that brought yes. something to mind the what was it called automaton or automata yeah the, automaton. The they're, they're a little different than clockworks but they're also an ancient they're an ancient magi technology so they're very much part magic part tech and it's not um just one or the other they were created by the jiskin imperium which was an an old time empire that were um eventually um, destroyed due to internal crumbling uh, with their very costly war against Osirian, Osirian being like the ancient Egypt analog. Mm. So they were kind of like also in Northern Garund and they were fighting off against Osirian and each side would do some ridiculously terrible stuff to the other. And then the Jiskins got more and more um, kind of desperate and were like, oh, we can bind fiends into our uh, golems. That's going to be a good idea. Um, and <laughs> that then eventually always worked, was you know? not a good idea. <laughs> I mean, it worked. And the, 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 like there were those fiend golems got a lot of kills. Now, they, did they have cover up that some of the kills were friendly fire? They did. They had to. Maybe. I mean, Maybe. otherwise, how are they going to be able to get more research grants? But at the time when the Empire was floundering, some of the people who did not like the evil fiend golems and 
kind of thought they represented the best of the best of Jiska, thought that the last chance to save the Imperium was to create a way to move life force and soul into this construct body. So it's actually alive, but um, st- where most constructs do not have life. Mm-hmm. And so th- that was the automatons. And so they have a mortals still living life force and soul within them. And um, most of them are from ancient Jiska because mm-hmm. unfortunately they failed and many of them went dormant for a long time or some of them were still awake and like lost their memories over time because they yeah, automatons, oh, the whole shtick was not like kind of built to necessarily last for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and keep everything intact. So your new character might be um, one of the few new automata, maybe, but you might be an ancient automata who just doesn't remember anything about the old times because of the wear and tear of the connection between your mind and your life and your spirit. Or you might you might remember the old days and be like, ah, yes, back in the old days of Jiska, we would do uh, we would do this with a um, an elemental golem, and I don't see why you're doing it this way. That would be very interesting to role play out. Somebody who's been dormant for what you said, like thousands of years. Yeah, thousands of years. Jiska Imperium. Uh, the Jiska Imperium fell. Let me see. the The, the history of Golarian is ridiculously so long <laughs> compared to Earth in, in an almost unbelievable length. And so it's always hard to remember exactly how ancient some of the ancient empires are because they'll always surprise you with being more ancient. So it looks like um, the the weakening uh, it looks like it collapsed about seven thousand years ago, Whew. roughly. So uh, more than that, hey, you guys have fought so. a few monsters that are about that old before. I mean. Yeah, that's fun. I definitely know in uh, Helion is definitely a couple thousand. I mean, mm-hmm. Helion's a guy trying to become a deity or is a I deity. Like, I, I like don't know it. at this point. He- Helion was one of my favorite villains. Uh, okay, so I'm going to quickly derail this entire conversation. That's fine. Oh, uh, I won't talk about turning into a giant cannon with your automaton. I want to. I trust me. I want <laughs> Bastion I, I, from I've, Overwatch. I've read it. I've read it. Uh, uh, I had a friend actually send me uh, that like I read one of the Reddit AMAs and they're like, well, how does the uh, canon work? I was it, they like set out the whole description for it. I was just like, this is awesome. Now, I need to talk quickly about Secrets of Magic and the one complaint I have. OK, and now that you're here, I could finally levy this. I, so I was flipping through the book, of course, when I first got it and I went to mm-hmm. the D section for spells. And there's a particular spell that I'm missing. And it's Dinosaur Fort. Where is Dinosaur Fort? Because we okay. need this. <laughs> so uh, just for, for all of the listeners, and I don't know if you've talked about Dinosaur Fort before, but I'll give some context. Maybe. Which is I that um, when we were updating from uh, playtest to the final version of Pathfinder 2nd Edition, there was a lot of work to be done. So even over the holidays, I was doing some work. And so we were on Christmas Day, and I was going through the spells, and I just wrote dinosaur fort and the reason why is the people on python.com had made a thing being like change one letter of a spell and see what happens and we had dinosaur form so the the top <laughs> winner of that was dinosaur <laughs> fort so i just wrote it and i said um just for fun i was like happy holidays everybody and i posted it on the forums and then people liked it and like also like jason bowman liked it too and so i put it into the book for real. Uh, however, uh, when Jason and I were copy fitting it, it didn't fit. So it oh, got removed no. because it didn't fit in the core rulebook. And then ever since, it's very long. And ever since, it's never <laughs> really found its way either because it didn't have space or just like the person doing spells for that book didn't like it as much, or et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't mean it's gone forever. It could show up anytime. Right. We need a dinosaur um, our general book policy now. Is that I, I have, I have one to, question. It needs to show up in an appropriate Listen. place for a dinosaur fort. And I will admit that, the, AP, that the AP <laughs> Siege perfect. of Dinosaurs, remember Siege of Dinosaurs yes. that came out, Extinction Curse? That could have been an appropriate place for it. I'm going to admit that. But I'm fully someday we will find a place for dinosaur fort and it can live, and you can have your four T-Rexes and your fort. Yes. I'm sorry, Brad. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th- this was for James. 
Is is this the only reason you decided to bring him on the show? Just to, well, no, just to well, ask him about the complaint? It was one of the he many demands. reasons. I needed to know <laughs> where dinosaur. I know it exists. I to be fully honest there, with you. I need it. <laughs> I am fully out of the loop on what Dinosaur Fort is. I have yeah, I mean, no idea. Yeah, I, try, I tried to explain it. It's a around. tech level spell that makes a fort that has four T-Rexes in it. That's... That's awesome. amazing. <laughs> wow. That's what it is. Uh, I feel it like was it could entirely well. a spell I wrote because people online <laughs> were like, what about changing the M in dinosaur form to dinosaur fort? But it takes a lot of space. There are definitely a lot of people who love dinosaur fort, um, including Impizo. So I'm sure someday, but dinosaur fort will live. And you'll yes. just have to keep an eye out. Anytime you see a book now, it seems like Dinosaur Fort would be a good fit. You're going to have to wonder, is Dinosaur Fort in there? And then someday you'll open it up and it might not even be <laughs> like be the one. It might not I'll even be like the one that everybody is spoiling, right? <laughs> on the spoiler threads where they're all spoiling some other book. And you're like, wait, I don't care about this other book that you're all talking about. This one seems like it could have Dinosaur Fort. Does it have Dinosaur Fort? And someday they'll be like, yes, it has Dinosaur Fort. <laughs> I'll send you a full video of me crying, adding it to like the BBEG of all my campaigns of just like dinosaur fort 10th level innate spell. <laughs> Anytime oh, the spell gets cast, an, an eruption of laughter will run through any group. I'm just worried for you guys because if, um, if James is running one of the lower level adventure paths that go from level one to nine. I feel like when he gives that BBG dinosaur fort and there's something four level 10 T-Rexes and <laughs> all of their other stuff, it's going to be really hard. So you should probably get like dinosaur bane weapons and other things <laughs> like that in preparation. Actually, we're only running, currently the only game I, one of two games that we have running is obviously Roll for ADC uh, that people can check out that we started running. But the other thing was, is a home game for Fist of the Ruby Phoenix, which is, as you know, very high level play. They are, oh, sure. I won't spoil much for anyone who ha is thinking about getting into it. I've read all three books. Uh, the only words I have is, holy shit, book two is insane. Uh, book three, even more. Uh, but I also think it's got the best map. It the best the, battle map. I don't want to just you know just the best. You know I know which one. It's it's, it's very still... pink. It's very good. And I, 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 I when we get there, guys, I'm, I'm telling you right now, Thailand. When, this... when we get there, I'm gonna pull this clip up from this interview right here, and I'm just like, this is what oh, we were talking boy. about this entire time. Everyone else this... I talked to is like James Case, Luis Loza. I mentioned this map, and I was just like, whoever thought of that like that was smart i i, I don't know whether i should be excited or afraid be very afraid i, I know it's, it's james it's not that it's, it's, it's that dangerous it's just cool it's really cool i like the, i like it has a lot of i won't spoil it it has a lot of moving <laughs> mechanics which i really enjoy oh having i don't uh, think this is too much of a spoiler but in the in the ruby phoenix campaign we're still in the uh the monastery and we can't figure out how to get the feather out of the sand pit so that's fun Oh yeah, oh, they're no. they're at their last feather, and I think it's like a few hours until the tournament starts, like the pre-qualifying match. Yeah, they're well, they're just scraping by. <laughs> don't let the bug guy throw your best stuff into the water. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, oh, just, just just don't worry about it. Um, it's not actually about uh, that at all. It's a reference to. Uh, to Yu-Gi-Oh! and the Duelist Island, which had the star chips that were kind of like the feathers. Oh. oh. Uh, so I want to quickly then move. So we talked about Guns and Gears, which is present, but we had a very recent thing come out of Gen Con. And I know that Gen Con is always a very stressful and busy time and always very fun. We have two brand new classes bringing the total of the number of classes, I believe, to 22, which is a lot. Very cool. We have now the Psychic and Thaumaturge. I won't lie, guys. My favorite is Thaumaturge right now. Having, one, a non-binary uh, iconic is always amazing. And two, boy, does that class have a lot. I mean, if you... It's, it's so much fun. Uh, 
so yeah can you talk a little bit about the design and coming yeah. into uh i sure. think it was dark archive is the book name that's right My dark archive um yes dark archive the design lead on dark archive is james case who is I said at the time, Michael Sayer was our newest member, but James Case is our newest member now, and it's his first design lead book, and he just really had strong ideas, and um, he, he sort of got together a great plan for Dark Archive, which has got these eight case files, and each one, um, it like, you know, is going to include some stuff that's related to it, and um, there's a section at the beginning that's going to have the classes, and is not connected to one of the case files. And Thaumaturge is my class in that one, too. So, like, yeah, I don't know if you did it on purpose, but you have actually asked me about the ones that um, that are specifically, I mean, I know about all of them. I had no clue. I was just classes. shooting in the dark. I just really love the class. <laughs> is the second new class for um, for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. And I really like the Thaumaturge, too. I'm very, very excited about the possibilities obviously like all of our playtest classes they're going to be need to be some quality of life improvements on it at least it doesn't have a, a broken unstable like the inventor did so that, it's that's not like spell strike with magus where you have to like waste a turn and a half trying to make it work you know uh but there's still <laughs> some things they're going to need to improve but i'm just very excited about the concept of it because just as i was writing it i got very engrossed with some of the different themes and and media uh, out there and just also just connections to things like if you saw like the little details like each implement talks about like the harrow card and the tarot card and the constellations that are like associated with that implement it's just fun looking up uh the symbolism uh for some of these different objects in real life and in galarian and sort of applying that so we have not seen anything from Paizo in terms of playtest feedback. I don't know if you can talk about this yet or not, but what what is it like seeing a bunch of the playtest feedback come back in for the psychic and thaumaturge? Uh, anything cool that we might see coming up in when the book comes out? Or is, is there anything you could speak to that? So... In a lot of ways, it's like when you're dealing with subatomic particles that you change the outcome by measuring it. And in this case, um, I don't talk about um, anything about the feedback from surveys until the surveys are complete. And then we mm -hmm. kind of have usually do a postmortem where, where mm -hmm. if it's like all the other times, James and I will write a blog together about what we've discovered, what, what the takeaways are, some of the changes that we're going to do. Um, but I, I can say that like there's definitely play, test feedback has been coming in and uh, it's certainly interesting to see it and I will be excited to apply that feedback and make the classes better than ever, I guess, which is a whole lot of not saying anything very specific, but um, yeah, that's because I, we I, like no being sure that we that, like I see a lot of surveys online where someone will just put it up on social media or something and it's like here's my survey also you can click this button to see the results and they're kind of automatically invalid at that point because they motivate people who see the results and agree with the results to like kind of not take the survey and people who see it and don't to take it more and so it, it can just mm. kind of change things now while you guys are focused on the thaumaturge i must say i am very much liking what i'm seeing with the psychic i think the psychic I mean, is super cool james case did a amazingly good job with sort of getting the themes uh of the psychic from various different media about psychics and putting it in there or at least i think so and we asked on the survey whether people thought like is there is there stuff that's missing in here is this the right mix of psychic there's one question is like is this the right mystic of psychic or is it like um maybe too sci-fi or not sci-fi enough or what do you think and so i think that this is a really interesting approach for psychic and i'm very curious to see what people think overall about psychic there's a lot to there's I a really... lot to learn from the surveys and a lot to consider from just people posted online too I love all the like mental manipulation stuff involved and uh it's it's a little strange that there's like two separate 
uh, I guess you could call them subclasses, but they, I mean, not too hard. Wizards kind of had the same thing with yeah. Wizards thesis have a thesis school. and a school. Yeah. Mm. Trust me, Universalist Wizard plus Staff Nexus means a whole bunch of spell slots. It's great. It is wizards just low key have so many spell slots if you do the right things with that and with your feats. Like my my video for my channel Arcade Mark where we did the, the our class chat about the wizard, we looked at it and it was just like it was absurd amount. I'm, and a lot I'm, of people I'm sleep hiding that on video that. from my GM. I, he can't find that. <laughs> like we were still better. Like we no. were talking about alchemist people sleeping on certain things, a lot of people like post online and they they definitely sleep on the wizard feats. They're like they they, they are like no, there's nothing good to amazing. take in the wizard feats, and it's like well, it may not be as obvious, but you can get a ton of spell slots in the wizard feats, um, and all the ones that you said, James, already without the feats, and together you can have just an absolutely jaw-dropping number of spells <laughs> yes i think especially if you take like spellbook prodigy at level one like we're we're currently we're playing age of ashes in another campaign with another gm of ours and, and he has a wizard that is ridiculously rich and made a staff of i have wealth. Was, yeah, yeah i made the staff of wealthiness via the secrets of magic uh build your own custom staff rules and uh I, I took I have Spellbook Prodigy and we're calculating downtime and how much time it's gonna actually take me to learn like oh like I sent him like a laundry list of spells of like <laughs> off the arcane tradition and I was just like I'm not a real wizard if I don't have one of all of them and I believe it was like with Spellbook Prodigy it cut down on so much downtime I needed for it I was mm -hmm. just like I can earn income and I can learn all my spells like yeah profit. <laughs> it was like essentially like Absolutely. the capitalist, you know, like money to ching in eyes. Like my eyes turned to cash <laughs> register, kind of like cartoon. Uh, so with that, I want to also talk about another book that's coming out that was announced a while ago, but uh, is coming out in March. It is the Book of the Dead, which book is a dead. very new look at um, kind of pathfinder in general like the book is definitely structured a lot differently as we leave the core books behind and we start going more into this very different development of what books are looking like because it's like mm -hmm. part player option part setting part bestiary part subsystem i'm mostly looking forward to becoming a lich i know that was one of the potential options i believe that was that's said also in, what i'm most excited about interview. Yes. Lich is in there it's in there that in, um, sorry more possible i don't know if this is going to be in there but maybe more ancestry options to be undead because as far as i know skeleton I think... zombies please i'm just gonna send out a bunch of requests and, you know pieces. you could just uh you could update the book as i go well yeah i mean <laughs> uh you could just you can just pretend that all the ones that you said if they're in there that was because of you but yeah, actually, there the timing go. is the timing is <laughs> such that it wasn't. But you can tell everyone that it was, and they can't prove that it was. We wasn't. have video evidence, guys. We did it. <laughs> there you go. But you're right. It's a it's a different style of bestiary kind of uh, kind of monster book than the bestiaries themselves. It's not just pact of monsters. It's the Book of the Dead, which is an in world book. They're in the world of Galarian. There's a book called the Book of the Dead, and what that is in the world of Galarian is we talk, I was talking about the nation with lots of undead in it and also humans. It's ruled by a ghost necromancer named Geb. And once long ago, he was a human necromancer named Geb from Osirian, that e ancient Egypt place. And he, when he was alive, he started putting together all sorts of texts about undead, some of which were from the goddess Phrasma, who hates undead initially, and he was annotate them. Uh, this is just something in the setting. It's all It's kind of been known for years. He would annotate them with like his own comments of like, this doesn't seem accurate that Phrasma says <laughs> this. Um, or like, this is short-sighted or whatever he would say. And so the kind of the conceit for the Book of the Dead, the product, is that it's kind of is uh, the annotated Book of the Dead. And eventually Gav just wrote his own uh, like extra stuff as he went more and more into like being a ghost. And he's just... A terrible person and a terrible ghost but it's okay you can have an evil terrible person putting together your book of the dead 
And so it that's what you were saying. Yeah, there's player options for characters who want to face undead. That's sort of the part that was like when he collected the things that were from Phirasma and the people who didn't like undead. And there's player options for being undead. And there's world lore that is also like, you know, we've got stuff with, with Geb, the the ruler of Geb, as sort of like, he's sort of the narrator that's in there. And so you're kind of like, you're getting the in-world book, but also an out-of-world book that has rules in it at the same time, and a ton of monsters. Because it was noted that Geb uh, collected information about almost every type of undead there was, so that he could use it for his own purposes. And so it's got all sorts of undead in there too. So I think that's just a really cool way to do it because you get something that has a lot of value at your table, but is also just kind of a cool thing in addition to just being like, oh, well, you know, we could have done a book that was just all undead monsters and nothing else. But I think this is more interesting. Yeah, I think definitely it's really interesting to see where second edition is going because i was talking with uh avi k two three weeks ago and i i made a joke actually how pathfinder second edition is just throwing anything at the wall and seeing if it sticks and if it does it's a book and i think it's definitely very different from first edition where i have i have the first edition my first edition collection which is about this big full of just random like from <laughs> mythic to six bestiaries to you know like you know the npc codex and all that so it, i like that second edition is this very much different approach to how gameplay works comparatively to first and as someone who still loves first edition with like a very deep like love in my heart um mm -hmm. it's definitely fun to see second edition you know getting the love it deserves kind of like you know it's not like, oh, this is like first edition's little brother. No, this is like this is like a thing like that could step to bat. And I've honestly enjoyed loving every like minute of just reading through whatever crazy <laughs> announcement. I'm very excited. And I feel like the recent buzz has been growing uh around Pathfinder Second Edition. That's what it felt like to me. So um yeah, I'm definitely very excited by that. It's really cool because, you know, Pathfinder 2nd Edition is one of the two editions Paizo put out in addition to Starfinder that, like, I did a lot of writing for, like, the fundamental mechanics behind it. So I, I'm definitely invested in um, in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. And it's very gratifying to see people talking about how it's helped them or made their lives better in a bad time and things like that. So um, I actually only have a few more minutes. Yeah, we were actually about to wrap up. Uh, okay. So uh, Barack, can you go ahead and ask our fan favorite question? So uh, the question that we ask everyone who comes on the show, if you could rename one element of the periodic table, which one would you rename? And what would you rename it to? I could rename one element of the periodic table. What would, would you I prefer? rename? And would you would like I some examples that we have gotten from guests over the years? We've got Nonatanium from when we interviewed Nonat. Uh, okay. I renamed oxygen to the shit that you breathe in and carbon to the shit you breathe out. That was we, we had a whole episode dedicated to just renaming the periodic table. So we had quite a bit of... Fair enough. <laughs> um let's see i think that if i could rename one element i would probably rename like do we still have elements in there that are just like uh um, table time they're just like the number because nobody came up with a name for them yet or have we we actually named all those i think we've named the last all time i memorized them, them. cool Okay, because uh, that would be a low-hanging fruit. Uh, let me see. Yeah, this is always a fun one that we never prep our guests for. It's always okay. this great curveball. I think maybe could rename Oxygen just because it's one that a lot of people know, so it would cause the most confusion. And we could rename it like some really weird basic name like bob <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Oh my god, and I can so, just imagine the chemistry, like all, every chemist just throwing their binders in the air and just walking out of the room and was like, all right, Bob. <laughs> it would also just change like a bunch of stuff, like oxidizing would just become bobadizing. Bobadizing. Yeah, it's just like, I, 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 I'm dying, I can't breathe, Bob's not in the room. There's no Bob! <laughs> Space is a lack of Bob. <laughs> yep. So I guess my answer is I would I, I guess I would troll um, by picking a, one of the few elements that a lot of people know and changing it to something silly. All right. And to wrap it up, uh, Barat, what is our fun fact of the day? Fun oh fact for today is one sec. I gotta find we always it like to educate people, you know, get get some weird facts out there. I feel like not enough people know. I've been in the cam. I've been in the campaign for this podcast for quite some time, but I've never been on the show. So oh, yeah, all, of as, all of this, this is, is as all of this is as new to you, Mark, as it is to me. Okay, <laughs> this this is Weird. true. This is true. Uh, the green code in the Matrix was actually created from symbols in the code designer's wife's sushi cookbook. What? So you know you All know right. the green text in the <laughs> yeah, matrix. I know the, yeah. Yeah. Our, that was created right, from the code designer's wife. Oh, I mean, okay. I mean, you know what? If it looks cool on screen, so I can never it's, argue. It's interesting. All right. Well, well uh, I yeah. want to thank uh Mark for coming on, just spending a bit of his, I think it's morning, depending on our recording time. Uh, just before noon just before noon uh mm-hmm. and with that uh i'm james and thanks for listening yeah bye